You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Recording by Betty B. Astounding Story 16, April 1931. The Menace of the Insect. It is possible that future study may tell man enough about insects to enable him to eradicate them. This, however, is more than can be reasonably expected, for the more we cultivate the earth, the better we make conditions for these enemies. The insect thrives on the work of man, and having made conditions ideal for the insect, with great expanses of cultivated food fitted to his needs, it is an optimist who can believe that at the same time we can make other conditions which will be so unfavorable as to cause him to disappear completely. The two things do not go together. The insect is much better fitted for life than is man. He can survive long periods of famine. He can survive extremes of heat and cold. The insect produces great numbers of young which have no long period of infancy requiring the attention of the parents over a large part of their life. Every function of the insect is directed toward the propagation of the race and the use of minimum effort in every other direction. It is even possible in some cases, the water flea, for example, for the female to produce young without the necessity of fertilization by the male. In order to perform the necessary work to ensure food supplies for the winter, other insects have developed highly specialized workers especially fitted to do particular kinds of labor ants and termites are in this class if we examine the organization of insects closely we shall find but one point at which they are vulnerable this is in their lack of ability to reason true there is considerable evidence to support the belief that some insects are capable of simple reasoning but the development in this direction is only of the most elementary nature as compared to man it is safe to say that they do not reason they are guided by instinct this again is the most efficient way to organize their affairs it requires no long period of training they can begin performing all their useful functions as soon as their bodily development makes it possible no one need teach them how to catch their prey how to build their nests or shelters instinct takes care of this but this obviously the best system in a world wholly governed by instinct is not so desirable when the instinctively actuated insect encounters another form of life as man which is capable of reason the reasoning individual can play all kinds of tricks on the individual who is actuated by instinct End of section 21 16 April 1931 by various The Ghost World by Sewell Peasley Wright Part 1 I was asleep when our danger was discovered, but I knew the instant the attention signal sounded that the situation was serious. Kincaid, my second officer, had a cool head, and he would not have called me except in a tremendous emergency. Hansen speaking, I snapped into the microphone. What's up, Mr. Kincaid? A field of meteorites sweeping into our path, sir. Kincaid's voice was tense. I have altered our course as much as I dared, and am reducing speed at emergency rate, but this is the largest swarm of meteorites I have ever seen. I am afraid we must pass through at least a section of it. With you in a moment, Mr. Kincaid. I dropped the microphone and snatched up my robe, knotting its cord about me as I hurried out of my stateroom. In those days, interplanetary ships did not have their auras of repulsion rays to protect them from meteorites, it must be remembered. Two skins of metal were all that lay between the ERTAC and all the dangers of space. I took the companionway to the navigating room two steps at a time, and fairly burst into the room. Kincaid was crouched over the two charts that pictured the space around us, microphone pressed to his lips. Through the plate-glass partition, I could see the men in the operating room tensed over their wheels and levers and dials. Kincaid glanced up as I entered, and motioned with his free hand towards the charts. One glance convinced me that he had not overestimated our danger. 
the space to left and right and above and below was fairly peppered with tiny pricks of greenish light that moved slowly across the milky faces of the charts from the position of the ship represented as a glowing red spark and measuring the distances roughly by the means of fine black lines graved in both directions upon the surface of the chart it was evident to any understanding observer that disaster of a most terrible kind was imminent kincaid muttered into his microphone and out of the tail of my eye i could see his orders obeyed on the instant by the men in the operating-room i could feel the peculiar sickening surge that told of speed being reduced and of the course being altered but the cold brutally accurate charts before me assured me that no action we dared take would save us from the meteorites we're in for it mr kincaid continue to reduce speed as much as possible and keep bearing away as at present i believe we can avoid the thickest portion of the field but we shall have to take our chances with the fringe yes sir said kincaid without lifting his eyes from the chart his voice was calm and businesslike now with the responsibility on my shoulders as commander he was the efficient level-headed thinking machine that had endeared him to me as both fellow officer and friend leaving the charts to kincaid i sounded the general emergency signal calling every man and officer of the urtex crew to his post and began giving orders through the microphone mr corey corey was my first officer please report at once to the navigating room mr hendricks make the rounds of all duty posts please and give special attention to the disintegrator ray operators the ray generators are to be started at once full speed hendricks i might say was a junior officer and a very good one though quick-tempered and excitable no failings of youth he had only recently shipped with us to replace anderson croy who but that has already been recorded these preparations made i glanced at the twin charts again the peppering of tiny green lights each of which represented a meteoritic body had definitely shifted in relation to the position of the strongly glowing red spark that was the urtac but a quick comparison of the two charts showed that we would be certain to pass through again i use land terms to make my meaning clear the upper right fringe of the field the great cluster of meteorites was moving in the same direction as ourselves now kincaid's change of course had settled that matter nicely naturally this was the logical course since should we come in contact with any of them the impact would bear a relation to only the difference in our speeds instead of the sum as would be the case if we struck at a wide angle it was difficult to stand without grasping a support of some kind and walking was almost impossible for the reduction of our tremendous speed and even the slightest change of direction placed terrific strains upon the ship and everything in it space ships at space speeds must travel like the old-fashioned bullets if those within are to feel at ease i believe mr kincaid it might be well to slightly increase the power in the gravity pads i suggested kincaid nodded and spoke briefly into his microphone an instant later i felt my weight increase perhaps fifty per cent and despite the inertia of my body opposed to both the change in speed and direction of the urtac i could now stand without support and could walk without too much difficulty the door of the navigating room was flung open and corey entered his face alight with curiosity and eagerness an emergency meant danger and few beings in the universe have loved danger more than corey we're in for it mr corey i said with a nod toward the charts swarm of meteorites and we can't avoid them well we've dodged through them before sir smiled corey we can do it again i hope so but this is the largest field of them i have ever seen look at the charts they're thicker than flies Corey glanced at the charts, slapped Kincaid across his bowed, tense shoulders, and laughed aloud. "'Trust the old Urtac to worm her way through, sir,' he said. "'The ray crews are on duty, I presume?' "'Yes, but I doubt that the rays will be of much assistance to us, particularly if these are stony meteorites, and, as you know, the odds are about ten to one against their being of ferrous composition. The rays, deducting the losses due to the utter lack of a conducting medium, will be insufficient protection. They will help, of course.' the iron meteorites they will take care of effectively but the conglomerate nature of the stony meteorites does not make them particularly susceptible to the disintegrating rays we shall do what we can but our success will depend largely upon good luck or divine providence at any rate sir replied corey and his voice had lost some of its lightness we are upon routine patrol and not upon special mission if we do crack up there is no emergency call that will remain unanswered no i said dryly there'll be just another lost in space report in the records of the service and the urtac's name will go up on the tablet of lost ships 
in any case we have done and shall do what we can in ten minutes we shall know all there is to know that about right mr kincaid ten minutes kincaid studied the charts with narrowed eyes mentally balancing speed and distance we should be within the danger area in about that length of time sir he answered and out of it if we come out three or four minutes later we'll come out of it said corey positively i walked heavily across the room and studied the charts again space above and below to the right and left of us was powdered with the green points of light corey joined me his feet thumping with the unaccustomed weight given him by the increase in gravity as he bent over the charts i heard him draw in his breath sharply kincaid looked up corey looked up i looked up the glance of each man swept the faces read the eyes of the other two then with one accord we all three glanced up at the clocks more properly at the twelve-figured dial of the earth clock for none of us had any great love for the metric universal system of timekeeping ten minutes less than that now mr corey i said as calmly as i could you will relieve mr kincaid as navigating officer mr kincaid present my compliments to mr hendricks and ask him to explain the situation to the crew you will instruct the disintegrator ray operators in their duties and take charge of their activities start operation at your discretion you understand the necessity yes sir kincaid saluted sharply and i returned his salute we did not shake hands the earth gesture of strangely enough both greeting and farewell but we both realized that this might well be a final parting the door closed behind him and corey and i were left together to watch the creeping hands of the earth clock the twin charts with their thick spatter of green lights and the two fiery red sparks one on each chart that represented the ertak sweeping recklessly towards the swarming danger ahead in other accounts of my experiences in the special patrol service i feel that i have written too much about myself after all i have run my race a retired commander of the service and an old old man with the century mark well behind me my only use is to record in this fashion some of those things the service accomplished in the old days when the worlds of the universe were strange to each other and space travel was still an adventure to many the universe is not interested in old men it is concerned only with youth and action it forgets that once we were young men strong impetuous daring it forgets what we did but that has always been so it always will be so john hansen retired commander of the special patrol service is fit only to amuse the present generation with his tales of bygone days well so be it i am content i have lived greatly certainly i would not exchange my memories of those bold daring days even for youth and strength again had i to live that youth and waste that strength in this softened gilded age but no more of this it is too easy for an old man to rumble on about himself it is only the young john hansen commander of the ertak who can interest those who may pick up and read what i am writing here i did not waste the minutes measured by that clock grouped with our other instruments in the navigating room of the ertak i wrote hastily in the ship's log stating the facts briefly and without feeling if we came through the log would read better thus if not and by some strange chance it happened to human eyes then the universe would know at least that the ertak's officers did not flinch from even such a danger as i finished the entry corey spoke kincaid's estimate was not far off sir he said with a swift glance at the clock here we go it was less than half a minute short of the ten estimated by kincaid i nodded and bent over the television disc one of the huge hooded affairs we used in those days widening the field to the greatest angle and with low power i inspected the space before us on all sides the chart operated by super radio reflexes had not lied about the danger into which we were passing had passed we were in the middle of a veritable swarm of meteorites of all sizes they were not large i believe the largest i saw had a mass of not more than three or four times that of the ertak herself some of the smaller bodies were only fifty or sixty feet in diameter they were jagged and irregular in shape and they seemed to spin at varying speeds like tiny worlds as i watched fixing my view now on the space directly in our path i saw that our disintegrator ray men were at work deep in the bowels of the ertak the moan of the ray generators had deepened in note i could even feel the slight vibration beneath my feet one of the meteorites slowly crumbled on top the dust of disintegration hovering in a compact mass about the body more and more of it melted away 
the spinning motion grew irregular eccentric as the centre of gravity was changed by the action of the ray another ray two more centred on the wobbling mass it was directly in our path looming up larger and larger every second faster and faster it melted the rays eating into it from four sides but it was perilously near now i had to reduce power in order to keep all of it within the field of my disc if the thing vanished before the very nose of the ship not an instant too soon i glanced up at the surface temperature indicator and saw the big black hand move slowly for a degree or two and stop it was a very sensitive instrument and registered even the slight friction of our passage through the disintegrated dust of the meteorite our rays were working desperately but disintegrator rays are not nearly so effective in space as in an atmosphere of some kind half a dozen times it seemed we must crash head on into one of the flying bodies but our speed was reduced now to such an extent that we were going but little faster than the meteorites and this fact was all that saved us we had more time for utilizing our rays we nosed upward through the trailing fringe of the swarm in safety the great field of meteorites was now below and ahead of us we had won through the ertak was safe and there seems to be another directly above us sir commented corey quietly speaking for the first time since we had entered the area of danger i believe your disc is not picking it up thank you mr corey i said while operating on an entirely different principle his two charts had certain very definite advantages they showed the entire space around us instead of to portion i picked up the meteorite he had mentioned without difficulty it was a large body about three times the mass of the ertak and some distance above us a laggard in the group we had just eluded will it coincide with our path at any point mr corey i asked doubtfully the television disc could not of course give me this information i believe so yes replied corey frowning over his charts are the rays on it sir yes all of them i judge but they are making slow work of it i fell silent bending lower over the great hooded disc there were a dozen a score of rays playing upon the surface of the meteorite a halo of dust hung around the rapidly diminishing body but still the mass melted all too slowly pressing the attention signal for kincaid i spoke sharply into the microphone mr kincaid is every ray on that large meteorite above us yes sir he replied instantly full power yes sir very well carry on mr kincaid i turned to corey he had just glanced from his charts to the clock with its jerking second hand and back to his charts they'll have to do it in the next ten seconds sir he said otherwise corey shrugged and his eyes fixed with a peculiar fascinated stare on the charts he was looking death squarely in the eyes ten seconds it was not enough i had watched the rays working and i knew their power to disintegrate this death-dealing stone that was hurtling along above us while we rose helplessly into its path i did not ask corey if it was possible to alter the course enough and quickly enough to avoid that fateful path had it been possible without tearing the ertak to pieces with the strain of it corey would have done it seconds ago i glanced up swiftly at the relentless jerking second hand seven seconds gone three seconds more the rays were doing all that could be expected of them there was only a tiny fragment of the meteorite left and it was dwindling swiftly but our time was passing even more rapidly the bit of rock loomed up at me from the disc it seemed to fly up into my face to meet me got us corey i said hoarsely good-bye old man i think he tried to reply i saw his lips open the flash of the bright light from the ethon tubes on his big white teeth then there was a crash that shook the whole ship i shot into the air i remember falling terribly a blinding flash of light that emanated from the very centre of my brain a sickening sense of utter catastrophe and blackness end of section twenty two 1931 by various the ghost world by sewell peasley wright part two i think i was conscious several seconds before i finally opened my eyes my mind was still wandering my thoughts kept flying around in huge circles that kept closing in we had hit the meteorite i remembered the crash i remembered falling i remembered striking my head but i was still alive there was air to breathe and there was firm material under me i opened my eyes for the first instant it seemed i was in an utterly strange room nothing was familiar everything was was 
inverted. Then I glanced upward, and I saw what had happened. I was lying on the ceiling of the navigating room. Over my head were the charts, still glowing, the chronometers in their gimbaled beds and the television disc. Beside me, sprawled out limply, was Corey, a trickle of dried blood on his cheek. A litter of papers, chairs, framed licenses, and other movable objects were strewn on and around us. My first instinctive foolish thought was that the ship was upside down. Man has a ground-trained mind, no matter how many years he may travel space. Then, of course, I realized that in the open void there is not top or bottom. The illusion is supplied in spaceships by the gravity pads. Somehow the shock of impact had reversed the polarity of the leads to the pads, and they had become repulsion pads. That was why I had dropped from the floor to the ceiling. All this flashed through my mind in an instant as I dragged myself towards Corey. Dragged myself because my head was throbbing so that I dared not stand up, and one shoulder, my left, was numb. For an instant I thought that Corey was dead. Then, as I bent over him, I saw a pulse leaping just under the angle of his jaw. "'Corey, old man,' I whispered. "'Do you hear me?' All the formality of the service was forgotten for the time. "'Are you hurt badly?' His eyes flickered and he sighed. Then suddenly he looked up at me and smiled. "'We're still here, sir?' After a fashion. "'Look around. See what's happened?' He glanced about curiously, frowning. His wits were not all with him yet. "'We're in a mess, aren't we?' he grinned. "'What's the matter?' I told him what I thought, and he nodded slowly, feeling his head tenderly. "'How long ago did it happen?' he asked. "'The blooming clock's upside down. Can you read it?' I could, with an effort. "'Over twenty minutes,' I said. "'I wonder how the rest of the men are.' With an effort I got to my feet and peered into the operating room. Several of the men were moving about dazedly, and as I signalled to them, reassuringly, a voice hailed us from the doorway. "'Any orders, sir?' It was Kincaid. He was peering over what had been the top of the doorway, and he was probably the most disreputable-looking officer who had ever worn the blue and silver uniform of the service. His nose was bloody and swollen to twice its normal size. Both eyes were blackened, and his hair, matted with blood, was plastered in ragged swirls across his forehead. Yes, Mr. Kincaid, plenty of them. Round up enough of the men to locate the trouble with the gravity pads. There's a reversed connection somewhere. "'But don't let them make the repairs until the signal's given, "'otherwise we'll all fall on our heads again. "'Mr. Corey and I will take care of the injured.' "'The next half-hour was a trying one. Two men had been killed outright, "'and another died before we could do anything to save him. "'Every man in the crew was shaken up and bruised, "'but by the time the check was completed "'we had a good half of our personnel on duty. "'Returning at last to the navigating room, "'I pressed the attention signal for Kincaid "'and got his answer immediately.' "'Located the trouble yet, Mr. Kincaid?' I asked anxiously. "'Yes, sir. Mr. Hendricks has been working with a group of men and has just made his report. They are ready when you are.' "'Good.' I drew a sigh of relief. It had been easier than I thought. Pressing the general attention signal, I broadcasted the warning, giving particular instructions to the men in charge of the injured. Then I issued orders to Hendricks. "'Reverse the current in five seconds, Mr. Hendricks, and stand by for further instructions.' hastily then corey and i followed the orders we had given the men briefly we stood on our heads against the wall feeling very foolish and dreading the fall we knew was coming it came we slid down the wall and lit heavily on our feet while the litter that had been on the ceiling with us fell all around us miraculously the ship seemed to have righted herself corey and i picked ourselves up and looked around we're still operating smoothly i commented with a sweeping glance at the instruments over the operating table "'Everything seems in order.' "'Did you notice the speed indicator, sir?' asked Corey grimly. "'When he fell, one of the men in the operating room must have pulled the speed lever all the way over. "'We're at maximum space speed, sir, and have been for nearly an hour, with no one at the controls.' "'We stared at each other dully. Nearly an hour at maximum space speed. "'A speed seldom used except in case of great emergency.' with no one at the controls and the ship set at maximum deflection from her course that meant that for nearly an hour we had been sweeping into infinite space in a great arc at a speed i dislike to think about i'll work out our position at once i said and in the meantime reduce speed to normal as quickly as possible we must get back on our course at the earliest possible moment we hurried across to the charts where our most important aids in proper navigation 
by comparing the groups of stars there with our space charts of the universe the working out of our position was ordinarily a simple matter but now instead of milky rectangles ruled with fine black lines with a fiery red speck in the centre and the bodies of the universe grouped around in green points of light there were only nearly black rectangles shot through with vague flickering lights that revealed nothing except the presence of disaster the meteoric fragment wiped out some of our plates i imagine said cory slowly the thing's useless i nodded staring down at the crawling lights on the charts we'll have to set down for repairs mr cory if i added we can find a place cory glanced up at the attraction meter i'll take a look in the big disc he suggested there's a sizable body off to port perhaps our luck's changed he bent his head under the big hood adjusting the control until he located the source of the registered attraction right he said after a moment's careful scrutiny she's as big as earth i'd venture and i believe i can detect clouds so there should be atmosphere shall we try it sir yes we're helpless until we make repairs as big as earth you said is she familiar cory studied the image under the hood again long and carefully no sir he said looking up and shaking his head she's a new one on me conning the ship first by means of the television disc and navigating visually as we neared the strange sphere we were soon close enough to make out the physical characteristics of this unknown world our spectroscopic tests had revealed the presence of atmosphere suitable for breathing although strongly laden with mineral fumes which while possibly objectionable would probably not be dangerous so far as we could see there was but one continent somewhat north of the equator roughly triangular in shape with its northmost point reaching nearly to the pole it's an unexplored world sir i'm certain of that said cory i'm sure i would have remembered that single triangular continent had i seen it on any of our charts in those days of course the universe was by no means so well mapped as it is to-day if not unknown it is at least uncharted i replied rough-looking country isn't it no sign of life either that the disc will reveal that's as well sir better no people than wild natives who might interfere with our work any choice in the matter of a spot on which to set her down i inspected the great triangular continent carefully towards the north it was a mass of snow-covered mountains some of them from their craters dead volcanoes long spurs of these ranges reached southward with green and apparently fertile valleys between the southern edge was covered with dense tropical vegetation a veritable jungle at the base of that central spur there seems to be a sort of plateau i suggested i believe that would be a likely spot very well sir replied cory and the old ertak reduced to atmospheric speed swiftly swept towards the indicated position while cory kept a wary eye on the surface temperature gauge and i swept the terrain for any sign of intelligent life i found a number of trails particularly around the base of the foothills but they were evidently game trails for there were no dwelling places of any kind no cities no villages not even a single habitation of any kind that the searching eyes of the disc could detect cory set her down as neatly and as softly as a rose petal drifts to the ground roses i may add are a beautiful and delicate flower with very soft petals peculiar to my native earth we opened the main exit immediately i watched the huge circular door back slowly out of its threads and finally swing aside swiftly and silently in the grip of its mighty gimbals with the weird unearthly feeling i have always had when about to step foot on some strange star where no man has trod before the air was sweet and delightfully fresh after being cooped up for weeks in the ertak with her machine-made air a little thinner i should judge than the air to which we were accustomed but strangely exhilarating and laden with the faint scent of some unknown constituent undoubtedly the mineral element our spectroscope had revealed but not identified gravity i found upon passing through the exit was normal altogether an extremely satisfactory repair station cory's guess as to what had happened proved absolutely accurate along the top of the ertak from amidships to within a few feet of her pointed stern was a jagged groove that had destroyed hundreds of the bright coppery discs set into the outer skin of the ship that operated our super radio reflex charts the groove was so deep in places that it must have bent the outer skin of the ertak down against the inner skin a foot or more oh, it was best not to think of what would have happened then by the time we completed our inspection dusk was upon us a long lingering dusk due no doubt to the afterglow resulting from the mineral content of the air i'm no white-skinned stoop-shouldered laboratory man so i'm not sure that was the real reason it sounds logical however 
mr corey i think we shall break out our field equipment and give all men not on watch an opportunity to sleep out in the fresh air i said will you give the orders please yes sir mr hendricks will stand the eight to twelve watch as usual i nodded mr kincaid will relieve him at midnight and you will take over at four very well sir Corey turned to give the orders, and in a few minutes an orderly array of shelter-tents made a single street in front of the fat, dully gleaming side of the Ertak. Our tents were at the head of this short company street, three of them in a little row. After the evening meal cooked over open fires, with the smoke of the very resinous wood we had collected hanging comfortably in the still air, the men gave themselves up to boisterous, noisy games which, I confess, I should have liked very much to participate in they raced and tumbled around the two big fires like schoolboys on a lark only those who have spent most of their days in the metal belly of a spaceship know the sheer joy of utter physical freedom corey kincaid and i sat before our tents and watched them chatting about this and that i have long since forgotten what but i shall never forget what occurred just before the watch changed that night nor will any man of the ertak's crew it was just a few minutes before midnight the men had quieted down and were preparing to turn in i had given orders that this first night they could suit themselves about retiring a good officer and i tried to be one is never afraid to give good men a little rain now and then the fires had died down to great heaps of red coals filmed with ashes and aside from the brilliant galaxy of stars overhead there was no light from above either this world had no moons not even a single moon like my native earth or it had not yet arisen kincaid rose lazily stretched himself and glanced at his watch seven till twelve sir he said i believe i'll run along and relieve he never finished that sentence from somewhere there came a rushing sound and a damp stringy net a living horrible something descended upon us out of the night in an instant what had been an orderly encampment became bedlam i tried to fight against the stringy animated nearly intangible mass or masses that held me but my arms my legs my whole body was bound as with strings and loops of elastic bands strange whispering sounds filled the air audible above the shouting of the men the net about me grew tighter i felt myself being lifted from the ground others were being treated the same way one of the ertak's crew shot straight up not a dozen feet away writhing and squirming then at an elevation of perhaps twice my height he was hurried away hendrick's voice called out my name from the ertak's exit and i shouted a warning hendrick go back close the emergency then a gluey mass cut across my mouth and as though carried on huge soft springs i was hurried away with the sibilant whispering sounds louder and closer than ever with me as nearly as i could judge went every man who had not been on duty in the ship i ceased struggling and immediately the rubbery network about me loosened it seemed to me that the whisperings about me were suddenly approving we were in the grip then of some sort of intelligent beings ghost-like and invisible though they were after a time during which we were all in a ragged group being borne swiftly towards the mountains all at a common level from the ground i managed to turn my head so that i could see against the starlit sky something of the nature of the things that had made us captive as is not infrequently the case in trying to describe things of an utterly different world i find myself at a loss for words i think of jellyfish such as inhabit the seas of most inhabited planets and yet this is not a good description these creatures were pale and almost completely transparent what their forms might be i could not even guess i could make out writhing tentacle-like arms and wrinkled flabby excrudescences and that was all that these creatures were huge was evident from the fact that they apparently walking from an irregular undulating motion held us easily ten or a dozen feet from the ground with the release of pressure about my body i was able to talk for again. more information and i called out to corey who was fighting his LibriVox. way along muttering angrily just recording ahead of me. by beth thomas corey no use fighting them 16, save your April strength man 1931 by them what are the they in god's name what spawn of hell part the three. commander's right corey interrupted right. kincaid who was not now far what? from my first officer Richard. corey 
Let's get our breaths and try to figure out what's happened. Swiftly, each of us held above the headlight excrudescence the struggle the globular body of the thing that held us. I want to know where I'm going and why, growled Corey, ceasing the source of the yellow light that beat about What have us? Are they fish or flesh or fowl? Irregular in shape. I think we shall know before long, Corey. Look ahead here. I am the not certain the men in the side of the, the cabin say that apparently it stopped before and that the shadowy wall was so high like in face section that it was lost rapidly. The rest of us were the brought great cabin was until we were in a compact similar to those in sitting positions, some and they fell down. back in the majority reclining to permit our conductors to pass. The whispering sound was now intense and excited, as though our strange bearers was a travesty of happening, hairless and without I took advantage of the opportunity to speak very briefly to my companions, and I shall pass over a description as I'll admit frankly that I don't know what we're The eyes against. were round, I said, and apparently lidless. But I do know this, a pale that will come out on color. top of the heap. Conserve your strength as we Keep your eyes the open and be prepared to obey instantly the of the any face. orders that may not be issued. The old I know that last remark is not needed. Their ears were if placed any of you should ours, see or learn something of interest or value, report at once to Mr. Corey, Mr. Kincaid, or my... Instead of a mouth, a there was a slightly involuntary exclamation from the men near the point where the head melted the round so. For the, the rapid fluttering or vibration of this skin, and there was a great burst of yellow light in our faces. Marked. A strong odour, like the faint scent we had first noticed in the air, which came from a great palm of fire struck near the centre of the clear space. But I was not conscious of the I had no opportunity to inspect the exact My whole attention, but from what my I every startled thought, I judged was that this flame was fed strange some beings, sort of highly silhouetted against the glowing light, not unlike crude that stood oil, in the except that it burned clearly and without Imagine, smoke. if you can, a this huge globe was conducted eight to the feet in diameter, the flame flattened slightly by means of a large pipe and supported on six short, huge stumps at the far end of an elephant. Procession and topped by an excrudescence like a round figuring similar to those merging into us, the globular body, save that by the greater darkness of their skin below this and the wrinkles upon both visualized six long I judged these to be older than the rest, so long that they dropped from the, from the respect of these animated they were treated trail the and the dignity of their movements. Now you have some I gather that these were persons of authority. A surmise which quickly verified A sharp, verified sibilant whispering came from one of these figures. The nine figures elders arranged answered in an eager standing, chorus from our In the form of a semicircle, there was a reply the like a creature standing a pace and the group or two in, in the doorway the marched forward. At a whispered one command, by one, these we were all dumped unceremoniously around a member of the, of the cabin before this august Each one of the nine. globular creatures bearing one nine of us. pairs of fish-like, I heard a disappointed whisper go up from the outer darkness, whether with enmity or otherwise, I could not determine. One then of the there was nine a spoke sound briefly to one of our conductors as the stone received an evil brief reply. The I entrance the was sealed. The creature in the centre we fixed on me. Indeed. I had taken my proper position End in front of, of section twenty-three. He apparently recognised me as the leader of the group. In a sharp whisper, he addressed me. I gathered from the tone that he uttered a command, but I could only shake my head in response. No words could convey thought from his mind to mine, but we did have a means of communication at hand. "'Mr. Corey,' I said. "'Your menore, please.' I released my own from the belt which held it, along with the other expeditionary equipment which we always wore when outside our ship, and placed it in position upon my head, motioning for one of the nine to do likewise with Corey's menore. They watched me suspiciously, despite my attempt to convey by gestures, that by means of these instruments we could convey thoughts to each other.' the menores of those days were bulky heavy things and undoubtedly they looked dangerous to these creatures thought transference instruments at that time were complicated affairs however i must have made myself partially understood at least for the chief of the nine uttered a whispered command to one of the beings who had borne us to the large cabin and motioned with a writhing gesture of one tentacle that i was to place the menore upon this creature's head the old boy's playing it safe sir muttered corey chuckling wants to try it out on the dog first. Right. I nodded, and, not without difficulty, placed the other menore upon the rounded dome of the individual selected for the trial. Both instruments were adjusted to full power, and I concentrated my mental energy upon the simple pictures that I thought I could convey to the limited mentality of which I suspected these creatures, watching his fishy eyes the while. It was several seconds before he realised what was happening, then he began talking excitedly to the waiting nine the words fairly burned themselves in my consciousness but of course were utterly unintelligible to me before the creature had finished a lash-like tentacle shot out from the chief of the nine and removed the menore a moment later it reposed at a rather rakish slant on the shining dome of its new possessor got anything sir asked corey in a low voice 
not yet i'm trying to make him see how we came here and that we're friends then i'll see what i can get out of him he'll have to get the idea of coming back at me with pictures instead of words and it may take a long time to make him understand it did take a long time i could feel the sweat trickling down my face as i strove to make him understand his eyes revealed wonderment and a little fear but an almost utter lack of understanding i pictured for him the heavens and our ship sailing along through space then i showed him the ertak coming to rest on the plateau and he made little impatient noises as though to convey that he knew all about that after a long time he got the idea crudely dimly he pictured the ertak leaving this strange world and soaring off into vacant space then his scene faded out and he pictured the same thing again as one might repeat a question not understood he wanted to know where we would go if we left this world of his i pictured for him other worlds peopled with men more or less like myself i showed him the great cities the fleets of ships like the ertak that plied between them then as best i could i asked him about himself and his people it came to me jerkily and poorly pictured but i managed to piece out the story whether i guessed correctly on all points i am not sure nor will i ever be sure but this is the story as i got it these people at one time lived in the open and all the people of this world were like those in the cavern possessed of opaque bodies and great strength there were none of the ghost-like creatures who had captured us but after a long time a ruling class arose they tried to dominate the masses and the masses refused to be dominated but the ruling classes were wise and versed in certain sciences the masses were ignorant so the ruling classes devised a plan these creatures did not eat there was a tradition that at one time they had had mouths as i had but that was not known their strength their vitality came from the powerful mineral vapour which came forth from the bowels of the earth the ruling classes decided that if they could control the supply of this vapour they would have the whip hand and they set about realising this condition it was quickly done all sources of supply save one were sealed this one source of supply was the cavern in which we stood these were members of the ruling class and outside was the rabble starved and unhappy living on the faint seepage of the vital fumes without which they became almost bodiless and the helpless slaves of those within the cavern these creatures then were boneless as boneless as sponges and like sponges capable of absorbing huge quantities of a foreign substance which distended them and gave them weight i could see now why the rotund bodies sagged and flattened at the base and why six short stubby legs were needed to support that body there was only tissue unsupported by bone to bear the weight the chief of the nine went on to show me how ruthlessly how cruelly those within the cavern ruled those without the substance that fed the flame had to be gathered and a great reservoir on the side of the mountain kept filled great masses of dry sweet grass often changed must be harvested and brought to the entrance of the cavern for bedding a score of other tasks kept the outsiders busy always and the driving force was that did the slaves become disobedient the slight supply of mineral vapour available in the outside world would be cut off utterly and all outside would surely die slowly and in agony those within the cavern were the rulers they would always remain the rulers and those outside would remain the slaves to wait upon them and we how strangely he pictured us as he saw us were not to return to our queer worlds that we might bring other ships like the ertak back to interfere no the pupils of his eyes contracted and the leafy structure of his nose flattened as though with strong emotion no we would not go back he would give a signal to those of his creatures who stood behind us a sort of soldiery i gathered and our heads our legs our arms would be torn from our bodies then we would not go back to bring that was enough for me men i spoke softly but with an intensity that gave me their instant attention it's going to be a fight for life when i give the signal make a rush for the entrance by which we came in i'll lead the way use your pistols and your bombs if necessary all right forward Corey's great shout rang out after mine and i flung my menore in the face of the nearest guard it bounced off as though it had struck a rubber ball behind me one of the men called out sharply i heard a sharp crunch of bone and with a pang realized that the ertak's log would have at least one death to record a dozen tentacles lashed out at me and i sprayed their owners with pellets from my atomic pistol 
the air was filled with the shouts of my men and the whispers of our enemies all around me i could hear the screaming of ricochets from our pistols twice atomic bombs exploded not far away and the solid rock shook beneath my feet something shot by close to my face an instant later a limp bundle in the blue and silver uniform of our service struck the rock wall of the cavern thirty feet away the strength in those rubbery tentacles was terrible the pistols seemed to have but little effect they wounded but they did not kill unless the pellet struck the head then the victim rolled over rocking idiotically on its middle in the head men i shouted that downs them and keep the bombs in action throw them against the walls of the cavern take a chance a ragged cheer went up and i heard corey's voice raised in angry conversation with the enemy you will eh there now ah right through the eye that's the place a score of times i was grasped and held by the writhing arms of the angry horde whispering all around me each time i literally shot the tentacle away with my atomic pistol leaving the severed end to unwrap itself and drop from my struggling body the things had no blood in them steadily we fought our way towards the doorway out of the cavern down the passageway pressed into a compact sweating mass by the pressure of the eager bodies around us i have never heard any sound even remotely like the babble of angry sibilant whispering that beat against the walls and roof of the cavern i had saved my own bombs for a specific purpose and now i unslung them and managed to work them up above my shoulders one in either hand i'm going to try to blow the entrance clear men i shouted the instant i fling the bombs drop the fragments will be stopped by the enemy crowding round us one two three drop the two bombs exploded almost simultaneously the ground shook and all over the cavern masses of stone came crashing to the floor bits of rock hummed and shrieked over our heads and yes there was a draught of cooler purer air on our faces the bombs had done their work one more effort and we're outside men i called the passage is open and there are only a few of the enemy before us ready ready, ready! went up the hoarse shout then forward it was easy to give the command but hard to execute it we were pressed so hard that only the men on the outside of the group could use their weapons and our captors were making a terrible desperate effort to hold us two more of our men were literally torn to pieces before my eyes but i had the satisfaction of ripping holes in the heads of the creatures whose tentacles had done the beastly work and in the meantime we were working our way slowly but surely to the entrance i glanced up as i dodged out into the open that soft humming sound was familiar and properly so there at an elevation of less than fifty feet was the ertak with hendrix standing in the exit leaning forward at a perilous angle ahoy the ertak i hailed descend at once right sir hendrix turned to relay the order and as the rest of the men burst forth from the cavern the ship struck the ground before us all hands board ship i ordered lively now as many years as i have commanded men i have never seen an order obeyed with more alacrity i was the last man to enter and as i did so i turned for a last glance at the enemy they could not come through the small opening my bombs had driven in the rock although they were working desperately to enlarge it leaping back and forth between me and the entrance i could see the vague shadowy figures of the outside slaves eagerly seeping up the life-giving fumes that escaped from the cavern your orders sir asked hendrix anxiously he was a very young officer and he had been through a very trying experience ascend five hundred feet mr hendrix i said thoughtfully directly over this spot then i'll take over it isn't often i added that the service concerns itself with economic conditions this however is one of the exceptions yes sir said hendrix for the very good reason i suppose that that was about all a third officer could say to his commander under the circumstances five hundred feet sir said hendrix very well i nodded and pressed the attention signal of the non-commissioned officer in charge of the big forward ray projector ott commander hansen speaking i have special orders for you yes sir direct your ray narrowed to normal beam and at full intensity on the spot directly below keep the ray motionless and carry on until further orders is that clear perfectly sir the disintegrator ray generators deepened their purr as i turned away 
I trust, sir, that I did the right thing in following you with the Ertak? asked Hendricks. I was absolutely without precedent, and the circumstances were so mysterious. You handled the situation very well indeed, I told him. Had you not been waiting when we fought our way out into the open, the nearly invisible things on the outside might have... But you don't know about them yet. Picking up the microphone again, I ordered a pair of searchlights to follow the disintegrator ray and made my way forward where I could observe activities through a port. The ray was boring straight down into a shoulder of a rocky hill, and the bright beams of the searchlights glowed redly with the dust of disintegration. Here and there I could see the shadowy, transparent forms of the creatures that the self-constituted rulers of this world had doomed to a demi-existence, and I smiled grimly to myself. The tables would soon be turned. For perhaps an hour the ray melted its way into the solid rock, while I stood beside Ott and his crew watching. Then, down below us, things began to happen. Little fragments of rock flew up from the shaft the ray had drilled. Jets of black mud leapt into the air. There was a sudden blast from below that rocked the Ertak, and the shaft became a miniature volcano, throwing rocky fragments and mud high into the air. "'Very good, Ott,' I said triumphantly. "'Cease action.' As I spoke, the first light of the dawn, unnoticed till now, spread itself over the scene, and we witnessed then one of the strangest scenes the universe has ever beheld. Up to the very edge of that life-giving blast of mineral-laden gas, the tenuous creatures came crowding— there were hundreds of them thousands of them and they were still coming crowding closer and closer and closer a mass of crawling yellowish shadows against the sombre earth slowly they began to fill out and darken as they drew in the fumes that were more than bread and meat and water to us where there had been formless shadows rotund creatures such as we had met in the cavern stood and lashed their tentacles about in a sort of frenzied gladness and fell back to make room for their brothers "'It's a sight to make a man doubt his own eyes, sir,' said Corey, who had come to stand beside me. "'Look at them! Thousands of them pouring from every direction! How did it happen?' "'It didn't happen. I used our disintegrator ray as a drill. We simply sunk a huge shaft down into the bowels of the earth until we struck the source of the vapour which the self-appointed ruling class has bottled up. We have emancipated a whole people, Mr. Corey.' "'I hate to think of what will happen to those in the cavern,' replied Corey, smiling grimly. "'Or rather, since you've told me of the pleasant little death they had arranged for us, I'm mighty glad of it. They'll receive rough treatment, I'm afraid.' "'They deserve it. It has been a great sight to watch, but I believe we've seen enough. It has been a good night's work, but it's daylight now, and it will take hours to repair the damage to the Ertak's hull. Take over in the navigating room, if you will, and pick a likely spot where we will not be disturbed.' "'We should be on our course by tonight, Mr. Corey.' "'Right, sir,' said Corey, with a last wondering look at the strange miracle we had brought to pass on the earth below us. "'It will seem good to be off in space again, away from the troubles of these little worlds.' "'There are troubles in space, too,' I said dryly, thinking of the swarm of meteorites that had come so close to wiping the Ertak off the records for the service. "'You can't escape trouble even in space.' "'No, sir,' said Corey from the doorway. "'But you can get your sleep regularly. "'And sleep is, when one comes to think of it, "'a very precious thing, "'particularly for an old man "'whose eyelids are heavy with years.'" End of section 24 End of The Ghost World by Sewell Peasley Wright